So last week, the message was about opportunity. And if you're able to be here, that's awesome. If you missed that one, you can listen on Christway.net. But here's the deal. As we move into a space of connection with the Lord, here's what we have to come to understand. Every time we miss one of our opportunities, we give Satan one of his. So there are these moments that we have of opportunity to pray, opportunity for connection. Last week we discussed the temptation of Jesus and that Satan hit him three times. And then this little editorial at the end, he left again until a more opportune time. He was looking for another opportunity. But we have opportunities also. You're taking advantage of one today. You're taking advantage of being in a space with a community of believers. I hope you're refreshed. I hope you're strengthened. I hope you feel a greater sense of peace. If you need clarity, I hope you have that. I hope you feel the power of connection. Every time we miss an opportunity, we give him his opportunity. And so it's not about trying to not do wrong. It's about the power of being connected to the one who is right and true and just. Knowing what I would preach today, feeling what I was going to preach today, it's really probably a part two from last week, which I really didn't anticipate. But as I was working through this week, I came across this song. I just happened to be driving in the car. I was coming back from Indy one day, and I heard this song, and it resonated with me. And I shot it to Maestro, who picked it up instantaneously. He's handy to have around. And so... The message starts already, right? Very simple, very simple words to this. You're welcome to sing them. Maybe you know it. It's a Michael W. Smith song. Maybe you want to sing it. Maybe you want it to just wash over you. Maybe you just want to be reminded of it. But this is our opportunity. And I want us to all step into it. Step into it with us. to me I can hardly move or breathe I can feel your presence all around I fall knees down to the ground you're the one that really You're the one that really matters. You're the one that really matters. 
that we move from welcomed to worshiped? How is it that we navigate, walk that path where we move from Jesus being simply welcomed to being worshiped? 
So today I want to look at Luke chapter 7. Our readings this week will be 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, those five chapters. This year, 2017, we're reading through the New Testament five chapters a week. And we are right here tomorrow, Luke 7. And what we've been trying to do is pull something from these chapters that you'll be reading, something that when you get there, you've already done business with it a little bit. It's already connected to you a little bit. We're going to read from Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now, as you're reading through Matthew, Mark, and, and into Luke, and of course John as well, I'm sure that you're feeling the sense of a retelling of the stories. You've heard it. Now in Mark, you've heard it. And in Luke, you're, you're hearing it again. The story today is quite possibly a new one. We've even preached in the last couple of weeks about a woman, Mary, that took an alabaster box and broke it just prior. In fact, it was the week of Jesus' crucifixion. That's when that happened. This is a little bit earlier, it seems. This might be a unique story, unique to itself. Some similarities, right? A woman, Jesus, there, feet, crying, ointments, breaking the box, those kinds of things similar, but this seems to be a new one. Before we read in Luke 7, I just want to tell you the story. This week I, I heard a, a retelling of an interview between Dan Rather and Mother Teresa. And I was listening to this retelling, and Dan Rather, many years ago, and Dan Rather asked Mother Teresa, he says, so when you, when you pray to God, what do you do? She said, I don't, I don't say anything, I just listen. And he said, so when you pray to God, you don't, you don't say anything. No, I don't say anything, I just listen. And Dan, rather feeling a little bit emboldened in that moment, you know, continuing the interview, he says, well then, what, what does God say to you? And she looked at him without skipping a beat, and she said, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. I tried that this week. I did. I had about 45 minutes between a couple of meetings. And I was over by Union Hospital, and I decided to walk up 5th Street, 6th Street, I don't know, whatever. And I went to the pond, the lake. And I walked a little bit around the lake, and I walked out on the pier. And I prayed, but I didn't say anything. And I listened, but I didn't hear anything. But it was beautiful. It was a moment of tranquility. It was a moment of transcendence. It was a moment of presence. From welcomed to worshipped, Let's read out of Luke chapter 7, 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house. He reclined at the table. The Pharisee invited Jesus. That's important to know. Jesus did invite himself over to people's houses sometimes. He told Zacchaeus, he said, hey, I'm coming to your house today for lunch. But in this, in this instance, it was the Pharisee that invited Jesus into his house. 
Now, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, remember when I told you earlier that we might be talking about people that self-select out because of their story? This would be that moment. When a woman who'd lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Here's the rising conflict. When the Pharisee who had invited him, says it again, the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. Did he join? Did he say, scoot over, sister? Let me just pause and interject something. We're just going to hold that right there. Let me just pause and interject something. There was a woman caught in adultery in the very act. People bring her to Jesus. It had to be a setup because I'm pretty sure the very act is not just one but two. So they bring her. Many of us are familiar with the story. They say, Master, the law of Moses tells us to stone her. What sayest thou? For all of us that love the King James. What sayest thou? And Jesus draws in the sand, does some other things. He looks up and he says, anybody that doesn't have sin, fire away. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. Right? We're familiar with that story. And the scripture tells us that stones were dropped and that the men that brought her there left from the oldest to the youngest. It's a beautiful story of reconciliation. He looks to her and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, none, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Is that a message anybody needs to hear? I mean real time right now. The woman was 15 minutes from getting dragged out of the sack And he said, I don't condemn you. What? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The woman left with her sin clean, cleansed, just as about what we're about to read right here. Do you know what grabs my attention? Why, when Jesus says to those men, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. And they drop their stones and they walk from the oldest to the youngest. They walk, they leave. Do you know what they acknowledged when they dropped their stone? They acknowledged that they were as sinful as she. And yet, not one of them said, scoot over, sister. I don't know what I would have done. But I know the many times I've come back to Jesus for healing and forgiveness. And if I'd been one of the guys in that story, I don't know what I would have done. But I might have just said, you got me. Drop that stone and instead of walking away, I would like to think 
I would have walked to him. And that story would have been rewritten. That story would have been a woman's sins were cleansed and my sins were cleansed. Rather than holding on to them for whatever the reason is, that we hold on to that junk and take it with us, acknowledging that we have it and then continue to keep it. The space that you're in today is a space where you don't have to keep it. You can come exactly how you are. Yeah, but you don't know what just happened 15 minutes ago. Yeah, it doesn't matter. He looks at us and he says, neither do I condemn you. Let's look through this. Here we we go. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, not, not I should worship as well, not man, I missed an opportunity. Not that. He looks and he said, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. <laughs> Don't you love it when Jesus has an inside track? Right? Can you, in that moment, can you believe it? What are you saying to yourself right now? What are you saying to yourself? Because Jesus knows what you're saying to yourself. And he wants you to have a message of love and forgiveness and welcome. Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. Denarii is about a day's wage. The other 50, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And he said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and he says to Simon, that conversation wasn't yet over. Do you see this woman? I came into your house invited, by the way. Isn't that true? I came into your house invited. You wanted me here, but you didn't give me any water for my feet. And she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. This woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Now that's an important point right there. From the time I entered. It's not Jesus was there, word got out, down the street, somebody told someone, she caught a bus, showed up, jumped in. The woman was there. It adds a whole nother human interest spin. From the moment You didn't put oil on my head. She's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. I used to say this a lot. Maybe it was because I was more connected to it. I don't know. Who loves the most in here? 
It's not a competition. It's a principle. Who loves the most? It's not a competition. It's a principle. The one that is forgiven much loves much. How much do you feel like you've been forgiven? And how connected are you with that? And it's not a shame exercise. I call it a data collection event. It is a data collection event. How many times have we been given grace after grace after grace after grace after grace? After grace? You're lucky that Arnick and I had a sinless week. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been able to sing that song, and I certainly wouldn't be able to preach. Grace after grace after grace. Grace after grace after grace after month after month after year after year. And for some of us, after decade after decade after decade. You think you feel guilty when you're new to this thing and screw up? You should be the pastor. You should be a 30-year veteran of the cross and lose your temper and be foolish and feel the guilt and shame that creeps up. Grace after grace, after grace. My job is not to judge you, condemn you as this man condemned the woman. My job is not to condemn the Savior. My job is to get a a real-time look at myself and not self-select out because of what I see, but recognize that because I have been forgiven much, what can I do? I can love much. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and the other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? I just don't get this. This is kind of of getting in me here, like, do we hear that story? Do you and I hear that story? And we're like, man. And we like walk away and we go get in the car. We go grab lunch. And we're like, man, what in the world's going on there? Like, who, who forgives sins? I don't even know if that's a thing. We should, we should ask Siri about that. Like, I don't even know if that's a deal. Why do we do that? Why are you and I not saying, someone forgives sins? Scoot over. Why do we walk the other way. Why do we walk the other way? Why? You don't have to walk the other way. Why do we walk the other way? You don't have to walk the other way. You do not have to walk the other way. You can kneel down right next to him where the worship is happening, what's going on right there, knowing exactly who I am, who you are, side by side, and accept his forgiveness, and accept his grace, real time, right now, no obstacle, nothing in the way. Every day, every time, 
there's something about us <laughs> that we probably all got it. That we hear that and we're like, forgive sin? Man, I don't even know if that's a thing. Rather than <laughs> go right to him. The other guests, who is this? Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Look at this. Your faith has saved you. What? Your faith? <laughs> what faith? Didn't we just read this story? Where did you see the word faith before Jesus says you, your faith saved you? Where was that read? Where did we, we didn't read that. What does that mean? Your, what faith? I don't know. What did she do? She came to him. She worshiped. She let the love flow out. She did what she could with what she had. He says her sins are forgiven as he's talking to the Pharisee. Past tense. He's like, her sins are forgiven, though. And then he looks over and he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. Her sins were forgiven already. Wow. Wow. Through what? Accurate confession? Was there a lot of confessing going on there? The woman that is clearly a sinner and everybody in town knew and her little poster was up at the post office and all that business. We knew who she is, that one, that person. How long would it take for her sins to be forgiven? How long would it take for yours? How long would it take for your sins to be forgiven? How much time do we need? Seriously, how much time do we need? Some of us doing better than others? Or if we really get grinding around, we can find some things. Like how much time are we going to need today? It's, 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 it's 17 after. We want to be out of here in 12 minutes. So how much time do we need? Should you get started now before I finish? It's an honest question. How much time do you need to have your sins forgiven? And I would offer you that it is the amount of time it takes to turn and love him. The amount of time, however long it takes you, to turn and love him. However long it takes for you to say, excuse me, sis, excuse me, let me slide in here. I'm going to drop my rock and put my face in the dirt right at his feet. I love much. And so many in here, we love much because we have been forgiven much. And we don't have, that's not a shame thing. That's, I don't have to like act like that's not there. I used to talk about how the Lord delivered me, and it bothers people. People literally come up and say, I, I hate when you tell those stories. And you know what I tell them? I'm not telling it for you. And I'm not ashamed of it. We're not doing shots at a tavern where I'm telling stories. Well, yeah, man, back in college. That's not what's going on. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I am telling you about his redemption. 
I'm not glorifying sin or Satan or anything else. I'm telling you, he had me, and he doesn't. He did, but he doesn't. I don't belong to him anymore. And he didn't just kind of have me. I wasn't just jaywalking and watching PG movies when I wasn't old enough. Like what? He had me. That's not a glorification of sin. I love him much. You know how much I love him? I listen to Gaither homecoming videos and cry. That's how much I love him. I know. I listen to, on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. How I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain, and I will cherish the old rugged cross. Till my trophies at last I laid down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday. And it gets me. Love him. I know you love him. Let it out. He was invited in. We're not just welcoming him. It's moving from welcomed to worshipped, to worshipped. She was forgiven. She was seen as a sinner by others, but her faith was her worship. She overcame the scorn of other people. She overcame her own barriers of of self-perception. Hear this. She was saved without saying a word. She was saved without asking. She did repent, and she did express her overwhelming gratitude and love. But she didn't speak a word. Didn't speak a word. When's the last time you worshiped without words? But you moved the master to forgive your sin, to acknowledge your faith to affirm you and bless you with peace, and you never spoke a word. You're just there. Caitlin Redman gave a compliment to this church that I was so happy to hear. At the time, she was a student at Indiana State, and it was her first visit to the church, and she sat right over here. And she and Devin, now married, were dating, and I took them to lunch. Melinda and I went out to lunch with them, and I like to do this with folks that haven't been here so much first time, you know. I like to ask, what'd you see? What'd you sense today? Tell me what you saw. This is what she said. Everyone just seemed to be doing different things in there. This isn't a church where everybody does the same thing. I said, oh, I love that. I love that. She said, I saw some people standing and some people sitting and some people with their hands up in the air, and some people with their hands at their side. Some were kind of prayerful in front of them. Some came to the front. Some sang out. Some had the whole thing. Yes. Because it is a tapestry of people. 
that connect with the Lord in the way that they connect with the Lord. We're not given a discovery class on the appropriate way to worship. And here's the right way to love. It's the response from your heart. So I don't want that to be confused at all. My heritage is Pentecostal. I could roll across this platform and not skip a beat. I'm not kidding. If my shoes would hold up, I could take a lap. I'd probably hit that wall over in the corner, slide right out. I can spin and twirl and jump and holla. You don't have to. I want you to love him because I know you do. And Satan tries to take those opportunities from us, getting all in our head and everything. Love first, just love first, just love first. Simon invites Jesus in. He talked with him, he fed him, but he never made it to the floor. He never made it to sitting at his feet. And I think the question today is what keeps us from sitting at his feet? Even when others are right there sitting at his feet, right? What keeps us? Because he's the one that really matters. We invite him in. That's what I was struck with. Let's, let's look real quickly to Luke chapter 10. This will be in your readings as well. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. In the same reading this week, I'm reading ahead, right? I'm reading a little bit ahead. So I was reading through this, and it caught me again. Jesus and his disciples are on their way. He comes to a village where a woman named Martha, what'd she do? What did Martha do? What's it say? She invited him in. It wasn't Mary that opened her home. It was Martha. Martha opened her home. Martha invited him in. Martha wanted him there. The Pharisee invited him there. The Pharisee wanted him there. That's not the issue. You're here today. Y'all need to come to church. Well, I'm, I'm talking to the wrong people. Right? That's the whole preaching to the choir business. They're already there. You're here. This applies to us. We are inviting him into a space. But the thing that's kind of moving my heart today is that the Pharisee invited him in but never made it to the floor of worship. We know the story of Martha and Mary, and if you don't, I'm going to read it. Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to the village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. That's the same Mary that broke the box. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. You're the one. It really matters. Distracted by all the preparations that needed to be made. I mean, I invited him in. I've got to get everything ready. You're the one really matters. And she even comes to him. Lord, don't you care? My sister's left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Jesus so graciously 
Fill in your name. I'll fill in mine. Andy, Andy, you're worried and you're upset about many things. But only one thing really matters. Only one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. The Pharisee invites him in. Martha invites him in. But there were these blocks. They were welcomed, but Jesus wasn't worshipped. And it's the broken. It's the sinner. It's the one that when we actually, intuitively, we would say, no, 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 I don't want to be able to show that or, or see that or I don't want anybody to see that. But that's the very thing that makes you a worshiper. That's what makes you a worshiper. Your connection to what he's done. Am I wrong about that? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful and bless his name. Praise and thanksgiving comes from for the Lord is good. He is uh, truth endures forever, all generations. Mercy, truth, goodness. As long as the Lord is good, merciful, and true, you can praise him and thank him for that. That's not worship. Worship happens when there is an application to my life and a resonance of something. Arnick sings this verse. We're going to sing it again. I know that I have been found. I know I've been found. He sees me. And when I realize that he sees me and he calls me son, something happens in here. Am I wrong about that? I, I don't know if everyone's experienced that, but that is something that can be experienced. The difference between praising the Lord, the difference between being thankful, and the difference with worship. You want to hit this? Let's sing this again. I'd like to invite you into this space right now. I'd like for you to let the words wash over you. I feel you so close to me. I can hardly move or breathe. I can feel your presence all around. What do they do? I fall, knees down to the ground. That's the response of worship. It's the response of connection. It's the response of understanding the dynamic of it. So we're going to close this message by singing this one more time. Clearly he is welcomed because you are here. And we want to worship him as well. Whatever that looks like for you, we worship.
saved her? What did Jesus say? Your faith 
saved you. But her faith was seen in her worship. We need faith to believe that we can get around these hurdles. We don't generate faith, we worship. And when we worship, it's our faith that saves us. I'd love you to sing this and let your faith take over. Let your worship produce faith in you. You know you can move around that thing. job today. Um, would you agree with me? I told Andy last week, I said, you've been on fire, man. He's been on fire, his preaching. Um, I said, Psh, hot. I don't know how you couldn't, I don't know how you could sit here and not feel the Holy Spirit as he is talking and preaching to us. Uh, my name is Dana, and uh, I get the pleasure of closing us out for Next Steps. I find it funny. Next Step Lady does the Next Steps. Um, but while Andy was, was uh, talking to us, and I had an image in my mind when I was a young mother. I think the baby was three, four months old. And a friend of mine was over, and I was asking questions, different mother, you know, how do you do this, how do you do that? And I was talking to the baby and smiling at the baby, and the baby was moving as she connected with me. And my friend said, notice that she will turn away, Dana. That's just because the connection is so strong that it overwhelms the baby. So if you've ever done that with a baby, you felt that, right? They are just so connected. And when Andy was saying, Mother Teresa prays with no words, and here's no words, I thought of that picture. And I thought of the ironic blessing as a Jew that we said all the time, every week, that says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you, which is basically in Hebrew, lift his countenance to you. How does God lift his countenance to me? His face, how does he lift his face to me? I'm a baby. 
He lifts like a father lifts a baby. He lifts his face to me and grants me peace. And I saw that picture, that connection, that presence. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and grant you shalom this week. And may you feel that presence, that connection with God that you, it's so powerful in worship, in silence, in presence. It's not a song, maybe it is a song, but it's that moment at the, at the lake when you're standing there and there's just presence. And that's what shalom is. It is a peace that surpasses all understanding. So as you go from this place, I just pray the ironic blessing over you. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and grant you shalom.